This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American story, written and narrated by New York Times best-selling ghostwriter Nancy French, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the president of the Reformed African American Network, Jamar Tisby. Jamar, what's going on? Hey, man, not too much. Uh, We are in the midst of a very rare snow day in the Mm. South. School was canceled, and usually it's like a light dusting of snow, and everybody freaks out and everything's closed. But today there's actually, you know, just a good half inch to an inch. So for us, it's it's legit. Big deal, man. It's a big deal. That's right. I can't say the same here. It's it's cold, though, for sure. It's definitely markedly cold. But, you know, in Florida, we're not getting snow. Um, typically, so it's happened maybe Man. twice in my lifetime. So, golly, yeah. I I can well. I grew up in the Midwest, so obviously I'm very used to snow and even cold more than snow. But I remember spending a year in Orlando at seminary, and uh, it still sticks in my mind today. There were Christmas lights on palm trees in December. Like that's <laughs> too nice. That's just the way they roll. Too nice, man. It's like that's not even that's not even good for your soul. You know. Uh-oh. <laughs> But guys, I tell you what was not cold, and that was the last episode of oh. our podcast. Thank you guys so much for the love, the tweets, the Facebook messages, the private messages, the reviews on iTunes for our interview with executive editor of Christianity Today, Andy Crouch. We got some phenomenal feedback. It was one of those episodes where we we texted back and forth while the episode was going on. That does happen sometimes, <laughs> depending. And we got to well, just it in. you know. It's 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 the it's like the podcast version of an amen corner. You just got to share your excitement. It was amazing. And we we had a feeling that that was going to be a special episode. And we're glad you guys agree and feel the same way. Thank you all so much. Be sure to go out and give uh, Andy Krauss love on, on Twitter and Facebook and, and go and get the book strong and weak and support him. And then you can also continue supporting Pass the Mic by going to iTunes uh, or Satchel, wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribing, then also rating and reviewing us as well. That really helps us out and downloading these episodes and sharing them with your friends. And as we move on to this episode, I have to say something, and this is very interesting because Jamar Tisby is a big deal. You guys know that. (laughs) And sometimes he doesn't listen to the people. And you know how it is. It's all all in the spin. (laughs) And this is true, Jamar. Just let this take the. I know you're my boss, but you got to take this L. Y'all remember a couple years ago? This is this is more than a year ago. I told y'all about the movie Creed. Now Jamar was listening to this, and I was gung ho. I said, Jamar, you got to go see Creed. I said it's for us, by us. This is like legit. It's boxing. It's an authentic African American culture. This is our movie. You got to go see this. And y'all heard me talk about it on this podcast. Like, so y'all were all witnesses of this. And you, and if you haven't heard me talk about that, go to the top five cultural artifacts episode and you'll hear me. I love the movie Creed. Now, after hearing this from me, from his brother. Here it is. Here it is. Did Jamar go see Creed? No, he did not go see Creed. 
This is what I get. I get. We get a message last night from Jamar Tisby. This is last night. This is 2017, folks. We get a message last night from Jamar Tisby saying, "Yo, you're right." I'm like, "What do you? What do you mean? I'm right?" I always like to hear that, but come on, what do you mean? And he says, "Just saw Creed." I'm sitting there saying, "This brother just saw Creed." Creed, look, they making look, Creed two now, bro. Like, see, see. Creed, they might as well come out with two or three Creeds by the time you actually got on the first one. Come on, man. there's a whole reason behind it. There's a reason behind okay. it. All right, all right, okay. So, look, you, you you like to go to movies to like like feel this deep, profound, transcendental truth about the world and whatnot. Get all deep. I like to go and see movies simply to be entertained. I want to unplug. I want. I want candy. This is that too. I don't. I don't want. No, man. No. Look, I teared up like three or four times in this movie. But I mean, nothing. It was, it was nothing like these were these were like pure tears. These were like healing tears. <laughs> it it was in a way. I was just. Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm glad I saw it. Period. Uh, seeing it earlier, yes, I would have probably watched it about 15 times by now. Nevertheless, go see it if you haven't. If you're slow on the uptake like me, a lesson learned. Listen to Tyler. We already know that. Uh, I'm just slow on the uptake sometimes. But man, dang, bro, you didn't you didn't do it justice. You didn't even see, tell me how I tried, good it was. I tried. I, see, y'all know I tried. <laughs> I tried to. I tried to turn up as much as possible. You know, there's some things that I, I love it so much, I, I can't talk about it. And that's like, yeah, pretty, man. I, I'm trying to explain it because there's there's some certain things. And I guess we'll talk about this a little bit later, too. There are certain things that identify with our culture and our personhood yeah. and our heritage that connects with us on a level that is so far beyond words. The only thing we can do is exuberantly respond. Like, that's just the only thing we can do. Like, that's us. Like, this. And this mm. comes from decades of not having these representations in the way that mm. we have them now. And so now, in a, you know innumerable ways throughout pop culture, you can see certain things and people will respond exuberantly to them because there's identification with that culture. There's identification with that world. And that's exactly what what Cree was for me. And so it's just it's just crazy to see the the layers and the fatherhood and the legacy mm-hmm. and um just the the little things like he's he's doing his 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 girlfriend's hair. Uh, you know oh, man. they're they're showing the the culture in Philly of you know the the ATVs and the motorcycles through the street, yes. you know, the motorbikes through the street and you know, just things like that that are so authentic to who we are. The music, the soundtrack was crazy. Uh, yes. Just all that is. And, but yet, and, and still in the line of the Rocky movies. So in the line of paying homage to that, but also confronting and addressing some of the things that the Rocky movies presented as far as racial tension and racial animus. Anyway, I didn't mean to jump in, but you said you no. said Creed, so I just started talking. But anyway, <laughs> You can't what, help but, the, man. Exactly. What stood out to you? What was... What touched you? Like you said, it's the layers. I mean, at, at, at sort of the most superficial level is uh, the cinematography, the, 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 the way they set up the film. So they showed another side of Philly. Like the original Rocky movie was brilliant because it showed, you know, blue collar, working class, um, ethnic, uh, you know, 
type of grittiness of the city. And here we are, you know, what, 30 years later um, in, in Philly again, but then showing a different side, not, not only more modern, but also the African-American side. And it's so difficult to do that and not be overwrought, like not play into tropes or stereotypes, but still um, be able to have some cultural touch points. So I thought they struck that balance just right where it was like, yes, this is, this is modern. This is city. This is African-American, but it's not, it's not, it didn't feel cheesy and plastic Hollywoodish, you know? Um, and then, you know, the music goes along with that. I thought uh, it, it was a wonderful, uh, I think the church could probably learn a lot from it. It was a wonderful update of traditional songs um, yes. that incorporated new cultures yes. and, and new peoples uh, without losing um, sort of the, the nostalgia and the tradition of that old, tune so that added to the effect and then like you said uh you know when when adonis creed was doing his girlfriend's hair the way they portrayed intimacy in that film i thought was brilliant it wasn't all sexual um it wasn't you know there were there were just little moments and it was subtle it was it was in the background and yet unmistakable uh these these tiny little moments so oh man and i'm also excited because i gotta say this i'm also excited because this same team essentially the majority of this same team will be the same director and then also michael b jordan will be involved in the black panther movie so oh, that just snap. extends my expectation and my excitement for that. But anyway, continue. absolutely. Well, the, the the last thing I'll say is I I was a boxer uh, in college. That was the sport what? in which I engaged. I was a pugilist. I was actually a champion in my weight class uh, many many years ago. Uh, Jamar got hands, <laughs> y'all. Jamar got before hands before I got a desk job. Um, so so, so he's, I thought. He's, listen, Jamar is meek. And Jamar is taking the, the <laughs> biblical route to racial reconciliation. But you don't want to see him. Don't try him. I, I said he at a conference. Hands, man. I said at a conference recently, you don't want to catch these hands, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm more in the in the rocky old age, maybe a trainer phase than a than a fighter right now. Right. But um, okay. but you know they they did that pretty well too, right? Like of course the final bout is is very you know hollywood and whatnot uh nobody can take blows like that and just keep going but um there was a moment in in that final scene of where like everything got got black the audience that you could still hear them but it was a murmur and the only thing in front of the camera was one boxer or the other and that's exactly what it's like it doesn't matter once you step in that ring doesn't matter how many people are around you can kind of hear them but not really the only thing that is filling your senses is this opponent in front of you and the opponent uh inside your own head so that was that was that brought me back Cool, man. Well, I'm glad you you saw it two years late. I'm glad you saw that. um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, we'll be talking about some more culture stuff. Bo and I have some stuff in the works, some some little ideas that are cooking. And speaking of ideas, we wanted to take this episode to just for really at the the beginning of every calendar year, most people, they do kind of a refresher of what they believe. You'll see this in churches. You'll see this in organizations. Um, You'll see that there's a rearticulation of core values, key points, mission and vision. We just want to reaffirm why RAN exists, why Pass the Mic exists, 
and hopefully address some of the questions. We haven't really taken an episode to address some of the subtle implicit and explicit questions that people have in their critiques or their feedback regarding our mission, our vision, the way in which we do things, kind of the shift that may people may have detected or seen over the past couple of years as far as our content and emphasis, both on the podcast and on the website. And what we encourage you guys to do is just sit back and listen. We're just going to talk not too long about this, but the mission, the audience, the purposes of RAN. And so I'll kick it to you, Jamar, because you obviously were co-founder, you along with Philip Holmes. And when you're talking about the mission and vision of RAN, what is that? Because I think people would hear Reformed African American Network and then imply whatever they or infer whatever they want from that. They they believe that that implies different things. They're they're bringing their own baggage to what it means to be reformed and also what it means to be African American, what it means to be a network of collaboratives. What is the core mission and vision of RAM? There was a need that I saw and uh, some of the folks who were involved with us early on saw that there was this kind of young, restless and reformed movement. There was a resurgent of explicit uh, theology that was coming out of the Protestant Reformation. And there are some big names involved in that. Obviously, the, the reformers themselves, uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Luther Zwingli, um, all of those folks. And then there's a whole stream of tradition of 500 years that that is building off of these biblical doctrines that were recovered in the Protestant Reformation. What we noticed was, and what people for a long time have noticed, is most of these folks that we read about, most of the pastors that we hear, um, most of the theology that received, we receive is Western European, North American, white male. And there's nothing wrong with that, except that there's a heck of a lot more out there than just this demographic and geographic group. So we wanted to um, make sure that reform theology was in the prime spirit of the Reformation, always reforming, semper reformanda, and making sure that we didn't think that reformed theology it was just this finished enterprise that, um, A, there are a lot of other people groups who are adding um, and developing brilliant, helpful biblical theology, and B, that theology is something you do. It's something that's always being fleshed out, and we wanted to make explicit what that looks like in um, in terms of African Americans, and then apply that theology to, as uh, Dr. Carl Ellis says, one of our early supporters, um, to the core concerns of African Americans specifically. So what what we could say is, in some ways, this is kind of an expansion of what Reformed theology has traditionally been. Now, what people would say as far as Reformed theology, they may have different ideas about what that actually means as far as the Reformed element of it. You know, as not necessarily being inspired by the reformers, but it carries with it maybe a little bit more doctrinal and ecclesiological weight. So can you talk about when we say reformed? We're not just what are, what do we mean when we say that? Because obviously there is that there's that measure of semper reformandi, but man, what what does it actually mean? Does everyone is everyone on Rand's team and everyone writing straight down reformed and Presbyterian and, and how's that denominational affiliation work itself out? 
Yeah, Tyler, you're absolutely right. When people hear Reformed theology, there's all these connotations, and it's never neutral. I mean, people either love it or hate it, or sometimes it is neutral because they've never heard of it. And so um, as as an online network, as, a, as mainly a blog and a podcast, we have to cast a pretty broad tent in terms of, you know, reformed. And so at minimum, it means we affirm all of the, you know, universal creeds like the Nicene Creed, the Apostles Creed, those kinds of basic things, which you don't have to be reformed to affirm. Uh, Drilling down a little bit uh, more specifically, we affirm the, the five solas, you know, scripture alone, faith alone, Christ alone, all of those. And then it gets a little dicey. So, so there's different kinds of reformed. If you're Baptist, maybe you affirm the uh, 1689 London Baptist Confession. Uh, I'm Presbyterian and reformed, and so I affirm the Westminster Confession of Faith. But neither of those is is required, um, I think, to, to necessarily call oneself reformed. I think what it, what it has, has boiled down to in the 21st century in this kind of resurgence of Reformed theology, if you want to call it that, from what I can tell, it boils down to issues of salvation, of soteriology, and it's affirming God's sovereignty in salvation. And so someone would, some would call it, you know, the doctrine of uh, predestination or election. Uh, in general, across denominations, if people say they're Reformed, that's a big part of what they mean. In, a, in another sense, it's just affirming God's sovereignty over everything, that everything happens for a reason, that God is in charge, and that means something in day-to-day life. Um, and then lastly, I think it means that you are you are accessing a, a particular body of knowledge. So Calvin's right. Institutes, uh, yes. um, a lot of folks like Jonathan Edwards and, and his work, Charles Spurgeon, uh, more contemporary folks like um, R.C. Sproul, uh, John Piper, those kinds of things. That's where it began. But even in those names, you can tell where they're coming from. And so what we really wanted to do was say, look, we affirm a lot of the Reformed theology we uh, received with a massive um, chapter and book and body about the legacy of slavery and racism that's embedded in all this stuff. We know that. And that's one of the things that we wanted to address head on, because what we found was that, A, the core concerns of African Americans, which sometimes overlap with the dominant culture but don't always, weren't getting a whole lot of airplay in other reformed outlets, and B, particularly with issues of race, slavery, historic pre- and, and present forms of prejudice, we definitely wanted to uh, continue to develop theology uh, to address those issues. Right. And so there's, it's largely divergent from, let's say, something like an African Methodist Episcopal Church or something like a Church of God in Christ or s- sort of these Black-centric denominations that arose out of whether it's racial animus or whether it's the um, the exclusion of black people and African Americans from a larger denomination. So it's a little bit different from that if people are looking for touch points and and points to to kind of draw. But the same spirit of understanding that we all affirm as we affirm that Christ is Lord and as we affirm the fundamentals of the faith that we're all Christians, but that there is a different conception of what it means to be reformed and what it means to access that body of knowledge. Now, as far as the audience of RAN, there's the African-American side. Now, some people say, well, does that mean I shouldn't read RAN if I'm not black? 
Should I should I read Rand if I'm white? Or why doesn't Rand expand its vision to include Asian Americans and Hispanic Americans and Native Americans? Why the African American specificity of our vision and mission? That's a great question. And it was actually a huge topic of debate when we first got started. I mean, even to call it the reformed African American, so to having reformed in the title was a big deal. And then to say African American in the title was also a big deal because we had that debate. Uh, should this be sort of the multi-ethnic um, reformed network or, or whatever it might be? Should we cast a broader tent to, to encompass all sorts of racial and ethnic minorities? And there's certainly value in that. And I think if you, the way they think these things work, as I'm seeing more and more, is if you pull the thread on one facet of diversity, it, it, it brings along all these other threads as well, um, whether you're talking about gender or class or other ethnicities. I just thought, A, there is a, a distinct and peculiar uh, need in terms of African-American history and culture that is not um, universal, right? There's, there's a, a particular and distinct history mainly arising out of slavery and race-based prejudice in the United States and North America that gives um, a, a particular impetus to address um, African-American concerns in particular. But there's also a very practical level is just that we can't be experts in in. Uh, the history and the culture of every people group, and I think it's it's somewhat arrogant for for us to try that. So I wanted to make sure that we were specific enough uh, that we could actually drill down deep and hopefully know what we're talking about. Um, but at the same time, specific doesn't mean exclusive. And so the question is, well, if this is sort of for African Americans, should white people or people of other races access it? The the answer is absolutely yes. Um, right. There's a right. need for that. We, we, we need to hear we need to hear each other and particularly folks in the majority who may not have as much access to minority history and culture as much knowledge about it. Well, this is a great resource for you. But here's the caveat. Just know that in contrast to outlets that have a predominantly white audience or a predominantly white core audience, um, we are here. Uh, specifically to address the needs of needs and concerns of African Americans. So that means, you know, you're probably going to take a posture of listening more than than you might be used to. Uh, You're going to hear perspectives that you haven't heard before and might rub you the wrong way because they're new and they may um, go against some some long held uh, cultural assumptions that you've had. Um, And, you know, it's 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 a sense in which like you know, we're, we're going to say what needs to be said. And if if that's not your cup of tea, that's fine. Uh, you don't have to access our resources, but we invite you to do so. Right. Absolutely. And and so let's let's spend the second half of the podcast talking about what you touched on, which is some people come to the, the website and I've seen two reactions, I'll say recently. One of those reactions is um, you guys have changed. And so you, you changed and you talk about different things. I say it on the about the podcast when we talk about the feedback. Uh, all you guys are you guys are just talking about social stuff. All you talk about is race. All you talk about is is racial reconciliation or justice and not giving full weight to the realm of concerns. 
And then there's another, which is you guys shouldn't be focusing on this. So there's there's the the old school Rand listener who's kind of been following us and reading us for a while and feel like we've changed. And then there's other people who come and say, there's an overemphasis here. So we're imbalanced or can we address that? And I'll kind of take the the podcast angle, but I would love to hear you address, you know, why there's a shift, if there is a shift and what's, what's going on in your heart. And then by extension ran as well. Oh, there's a lot to that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the cultural captivity of the church, particularly in reformed branches of the church. And um, it has to do some with ethnocentrism. Uh, But I'll say this um, on a practical level. One, if you are looking for a website or a podcast that is, you know, pretty straightforwardly exegeting scripture, which, by the way, is always done from a cultural perspective. So there's no, quote unquote, pure uh, biblical exegesis. We're all coming from a perspective, and that's something that we need to realize. But if you're looking more for that, if you're looking more for like um, personal holiness, personal living, those kinds of things, well, well, A, we do address that some. Uh, we certainly have those kinds of resources. But B, there are lots of other resources out there that you can access to do that. And and um, they address it more extensively. And, and I think you can scratch that itch. That wasn't the need that we identified. The need that we identified was the, uh, the fact that what African Americans are thinking about, whether that's... Um, the different ways that that public education is affecting their communities, whether that's the way race and racism is affecting their communities, whether that's law enforcement, criminal justice, mass incarceration, uh, these kinds of issues, which some would just kind of lump into a a social justice category or a public justice category. Well, guess what? Those need to be addressed too. And I think there has been, at least in U.S. uh, Christianity, in these sort of theologically conservative circles, there's been an anemic reaction to it. Mm -hmm. There, there is far, far too little discussion of these issues of public justice from a reformed perspective. And so, when people say we've changed, I think it's two things. I think one. A, you're not one. You're not used to uh, hearing uh, these issues of public justice addressed from a biblical standpoint, so you think it's different. And two, well, we are sort of responding to the times. I mean, since at least 2014, uh, in terms of a public conversation, race has been constantly a topic of discussion with the I mean, it really started uh, in terms of a very broad public discussion with. Um, you could go back to Trayvon Martin in 2012, but certainly with Mike Brown and Ferguson in 2014, and then the string of similar um, uh, acts that made the news in the last two years. And so guess what? It's it's something that we need to talk about, that we're having a national discussion about, and we should be having discussions about in the church. What's your take? Right. Yeah, I would, I would wholeheartedly agree. I think this is very important, and this kind of ties into what you were saying earlier, is that when we talk about the core concerns of... African-American communities, one of the things that you will see if you do enough studying and if you uh, refrain from cultural proof texting and if you refrain from uh, living in an echo chamber, you will find that the core concerns of African-American communities have historically been different than that of other communities. And there have been some realities, both politically, 
socially, legislatively, that have have given rise to that. There's reasons for that. And much of those concerns uh, persist today. And so one of the things that people, it's kind of um, a weird reaction when people when people would say, you're not talking about this. In other words, you're not talking about what we believe you should be talking about on a site that is geared towards core concerns of you and your community. And while we are not a monolith by any stretch of, of the imagination, what I will say is that historically, the majority of the Black community in America have had different concerns. And so it has required different apologetics, a different conception of church, a different conception of a number of different things. And this is not to change the doctrine, but this is to say there is a different context in which we live. And thus, some of the things that people would consider to be very, very important and at the highest list uh, and at the top of the list for uh, African-Americans and particularly African-American Christians to be concerned about, they don't understand historically why we are concerned about those things, but not at the top of the list in the way that you think we should be. And I'll say this, and I don't mean it to be the confrontational. I think this is this is going to sound a little bit more confrontational than what it actually is. But I, I think it needs to be said that the Reformed African-American Network is not a place for white Christians and Christians of other ethnicities to come in and tell African-Americans how they should think and feel. That's just not the place. It's not a place to read from African-Americans who solely agree with you. It is a place to come and listen to the core concerns of the African-American community in diverse ways, in broad ways, in different conceptions, with different conclusions, different denominations, different backgrounds, but it is not a place to come and superimpose the idea of the exceptional Negro on everyone who writes and speaks for Rand. And one of the things that I found is that most people, when they're responding, they respond with the idea that you should be more like this person. Well, that person or those people, they have websites, they have blogs, they have sermons, they have whatever you want to want to call it. They have a platform on their own and that is their platform. But there's no rule that black people must then, because one person agrees more with you or with more more of your conception about what a black person should be and should sound like and should talk uh, like, that we should adopt that. We have our own individuality and we have our own purpose for what we do. So again, I think it's very important for us to have a little bit of discipline and, and we have to say, we're not here, <laughs> we're not here to be the all things to all men idea. We are here to speak to our concerns biblically and truthfully, but not just because, not in the way that people want us to, if that makes sense. We we have really, you bring up a, a, an incredibly crucial point, which is that we have really got to guard the theological policing that goes on towards people of color uh, right. in Reformed circles. And what I mean by theological policing is precisely what you said, which is that if we don't say the things, if we don't address the same topics in virtually the same way as other more, quote-unquote, accepted theologians, pastors, writers, whomever, then uh, our orthodoxy is challenged, which I find incredibly arrogant and insulting. Uh, Because if you do look at the theology of it, I don't think, I mean, you may, dis, you may have some points of disagreement, 
but that's a long way from saying one is being unbiblical or drifting from the gospel, which is right. almost always the accusation. And so right. the, the insidious part is most people don't even know that they're doing it. Uh, what they're they're used to hearing reformed theology with a certain cultural accent, and they're so used to it that they don't hear the accent anymore. You know, it's like it's like it, you know, if if you're raised in a particular region of the U.S. and you go somewhere else, and somebody says, "Oh, you have an accent," you're like, "What are you talking about? Everybody talks like this. Why do you think that? Because you're you're in a region where everyone does talk like that, and so right. something different's going to sound. So you don't notice your own accent, and then you're going to notice everyone else's, and you're going to think they're wrong, uh, but you're right. not even going to notice where you're coming from. And so I think that's what's happening a lot with the dominant culture in Reformed theological circles is that they're so used to hearing Reformed theology from a certain social um, position and perspective that when they hear something else, it sounds wrong to them. They hear the accent and they think we're not even speaking the same language. Well, we are. We just have a different dialect, a different accent, because we're from a different cultural region than you are. And rather than say... um, you're wrong or to try to superimpose your uh, impressions on someone else, why not learn from it and exercise true uh, diversity within unity in the body? And I'll say this. I I don't mean that to say (laughs) this is something we joke about and I'll, I'll let you guys in on this little joke that we have. I have a joke that I'm, you know how President Obama has the Luther, the angry translator. <laughs> That's right. uh, there's a little joke that I'm, I'm Jamar's angry translator. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, uh, it's just, it's just a little thing that we, we play around with. Is I'm just, you know, very direct, and I'll just say kind of how I feel because I feel comfortable talking to you guys. But uh, here's what I don't mean to say. I do not mean to say that we want, we don't care about the contributions of. Our, our white Christian brothers and sisters. That is not what I'm saying. And we glean from that and we listen. And that has been our historical experience to listen and to glean from their contributions. And so when I say, hey, you know, we're, we're kind of focusing on who we are and our core concerns, as Jamar said earlier, that is not exclusivity. We still want to maintain healthy relationships and fellowship. But at the same time, we cannot lose our unique our unique expression of the image of God, because when we lose that, the body loses something. It's about the broader body of Christ. Like it's not about us just having our, you know, ethnic expression just to have our ethnic expression. We believe our ethnic expression has reverberations into the entire expression of the image of God throughout all of life. And specifically the mission of God to all people groups um, so that he would save a people unto himself. So we believe that this is, Ran is important for the body of Christ, not just important for black people. So we believe that there's a number of different things that go into that. So there's more to say, but I really want to transition into one thing that we've talked about before and we've heard on the podcast uh, feedback. People would say, well, you guys don't bring on balanced voices. So we say, well, you guys, it's clear kind of where you guys stand politically and socially you should bring on so-and-so and they're a more conservative voice. So they believe differently from you, but you wouldn't do that because you're afraid of talking to them. So there's this mentality that bring on so-and-so or have this open dialogue with 
another person who's challenging you in the public square so that you can prove your balance. I'll just say, and I'll let you chime in, Jamar. I'll just say that we typically don't do that with other outlets, that there's this curious double standard that tends to happen with African-Americans to where people assume black pathology. So they assume that black pathology is something that exists and reigns within black communities. Even we've seen it from politicians who would say the communities are in shambles and they're, it's, it's awful and it's terrible. And while there are dysfunctions in uh, African-American communities in, throughout the country, what I will say is that there is a perception that there is mass pathology. And because of that perception, people believe that the African-American community is in crisis. And so when they hear us talk about uh, racial justice and police brutality and educational justice and economic justice, they think it is a diversion or a distraction from the main pathology, which is spiritual iniquity, which is nihilism or lawlessness or what have you. And while we recognize that there is a spiritual component to all of this, it is underlying. We don't say that there is just systemic sin in, in corporate ways. We believe that there's individual sin as well. I think it's very interesting to hear people say you should do this when they don't require other white majority outlets to do the same. When they don't say you should bring on someone to talk about from a liberal perspective, what they're really saying is I disagree with you and I believe someone else would set you straight. Now, here's something that you should know about Jamar and I that's very important. Jamar and I do ministry, do life and live in incredibly conservative areas, incredibly conservative areas. I cannot tell you how conservative these areas are. We live in the South. We are not, if, if you believe that we hold these issues, these beliefs on the issues, because we have not been exposed to, to, to conservative thought or Republican thought or what have you, you are sadly mistaken. We are very well read. We are very well studied. And if there is anything we have experienced for the entirety of our lives, it is conservative ideals that have been presented to us in innumerable forms and ways. Trust and believe. Right. But right. here's something that we find to be very most helpful. You could do that. We could we could be the outlet to to have every single wide ranging perspective on any issue. Or what we could do is we could give you an authentic look into the African American community as it relates to the reformed um, expression of Christianity, and as it relates to an authentic glance into who we really are, so that we're not giving you a glance of who you want us to be, but we're giving you a glance into these are the true concerns across the board of the majority of African Americans, whether Christian or not, in your community. We believe that serves you better. We believe that instead of setting up these mass debates that go that where we pick sides and we kind of have these black on black arguments and it, it becomes this sport where we see who is the who is the black person that agrees with me. And so I'll bring him onto my my side and then I'll get on his side. And instead of doing that, we believe that it serves you better and it's actually a better use of our time and your time to stand where we stand 
and to give you our perspective and then to allow you to broaden or or us to broaden our perspective based upon your feedback. And then you can take that and actually reach the people who exist in your community, if that makes sense. So that's my right. thought. I, I don't know. Jamar, do you have any any no, other additional a, thoughts? That's a whole drop the mic moment. Uh, you put it beautifully. And I'll just say amen to all that. And it occurs to me that the folks who probably need to hear this most are probably not the folks who are going to listen to this particular podcast. So if you are listening to it and you know what we're talking about and who we're talking about, go ahead and, and you know, Slip this podcast to them, send them a link, say, hey, this may address some of you. That'd be great. But I think, um, you know, Tyler, your sentiment about hearing us for who we are and not who you want us to be, if if we could take one principle and, and just make sure it was widespread, that might be it. Uh, because so much of my time and energy on RAN, on passing the mic, on, on in just racial reconciliation ministry is defending uh, simply having another perspective, which is often taken as being unbiblical, right? It's often interpreted right. as your perspective because simply because it's different. If we drill down to it, simply because it's different is unbiblical. Right. And, and if you look at all the time we spend sort of justifying our culture, um, explaining our history and affirming our orthodoxy, man, if we could actually direct that toward other issues, how productive would we be? And so in some way, these conversations are are really bothersome to me because I think it uh, takes energy and focus away from other issues where we could be applying Reformed theology and developing Reformed theology in new ways. I'll read this. And I'll say this. I want to say this real quick, Jamar. Let let me just give you a brief analogy of what we're talking about. Okay. I'm a basketball fan and I'm a big time basketball fan. You said fan, not player, right? Well, I play too. I play too. (laughs) I'm just messing with you. I'll get you on the court. I'll cross you up. But here's the thing. (laughs) There, There is, when I was playing, I was not a scorer. I was not a good shooter. Now I could spend hours shooting. But I was just, that was not the function and role that I was designed for. I was designed to be a defensive stopper, a great passer, and a rebounder. That's just what I was designed to do. And that's just where my gifting was. Now, a lot of people tried to make me the three-point shooter and try to make me a mid-range, you know, five-tool type of basketball player, but that was not my gifting and skill set. So in the same way, don't try to make us the three-point shooters. <laughs> you guys are great three-point shooters. Fire away. <laughs> like you guys are great post players. Post them up and we'll pass you the ball. So if there's an issue, somebody's like, well, you don't talk about this. Y'all talk about that a whole bunch. Great. There is no debate on this. We're we're all good. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to feed you. We're going to feed you the rock. And you guys talk about it as much as you want to talk about it. But we're going to to play in the way and we're going to operate in the role that we were designed for and that will best help the team because this is an individual. This is a team. We are one body together. And we believe that this best helps the team if we are authentically who we really are, not trying to shoot threes, not trying to be Steph Curry. Some of us aren't that. Some of us are, are you know, some of us are role players. Some of us are Dennis Rodman's. And we got to be that as well. We need that as much as we need the theological Jordans, 
and the theological Kobe Bryant's to hit the fadeaway jumper and confound the atheists. Great. You've done it. Awesome. But that may not be our role. Our role may be to pass you that ball and to do the dirty stuff, do the dirty work. That may be it. So, And depending on the opponent, you may need uh, different roles and different role exactly. players because I think that's what we're dealing with in the 21st century is because of the particular way that God has providentially crafted our paths and the theology that we've had to develop as a result it is clear to me and clearer every day that in terms of U.S. Christianity, minorities will have to take the lead and folks in the racial majority who have been used to taking the lead uh, are going to have to voluntarily lay down some of their power, lay down some right. of their opportunity, lay down some of right. their privilege in order to hear the wisdom. Because here's the thing, we are not theological stepchildren. We are not uh, 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 theological inferiors, and I think there's the assumption of cultural and theological superiority on the part of some, particularly in Reformed theology, which is such a sort of academic and intellectual type or way of right. understanding the Bible. Uh, there's this assumption, even if it is implicit and not explicit, even if someone would never say this out loud, there's the assumption that because it's coming from black people or people of color, there must be some fault in it. So let me help you uh, fill out your theology uh, and get, get it right. That. Yo, don't get uh, in trouble. That's what I'm constantly seeing and hearing and feeling, particularly through this ministry of Rand, but also just in general with reconciliation. I read a quote from a wonderful uh, book called My Friend the Enemy, published probably 40 years ago by a guy named William Pinnell. And he's an African-American, but he's quoting an American Indian from a scholastic journal. And the author says this, it is dishonest to use the word integration. You have never wanted us to integrate, but only to conform. Why is it that any cultural difference, not only Indians, but anywhere in the world, is an aggravation to white people? Now, I read that because I think there is a desire on the part of many in um, the white reformed community for aesthetic diversity. In other words, they want people of different colors and different ethnic backgrounds, you know, on the panel or as the assistant pastor or in the church pews. But there is not a willingness to accept the um, historical and cultural diversity that goes along with that, nor is there a willingness to accept the different theological nuances and perspectives that go with that, because we all go to the Bible with questions about our situation and about our context. And so if our situations and contexts are different, we're going to be asking different questions of God through his word. And so we're going to be getting slightly different, though not contradictory answers. And because they're different doesn't mean they're unbiblical. And so I want to make sure that folks know the difference between true diversity and integration and assimilation, because the subtext that I often get is we want you here as long as you're like us, which is another way of saying you must assimilate. Uh, but what you said before, let us be who we are, which means we 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 want to be together, but we don't want to lose uh, aspects of our history and identity that 
are valuable. Like you said, right. that's that's what it's about. It's 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 really a question of uh, learning from one another as the body, because we are image bearers individually, yes, but we are image bearers collectively too, which means we can't robustly image God as he intended without the diversity present among cultures and nations and yes. people. So to the degree that we minimize that, we actually uh, obscure the beauty of the image of God that he's created in all his people. So let's honor that diversity instead of trying to assimilate folks. That's good, bro. That's good. Listen, and this is why this is why our podcasts are long. <laughs> our podcasts are long because we have fun and this is a place where we can be ourselves. We don't feel like we have to defend. We don't have to come and improve our worth to you. Like you guys have listened to us, you've supported us and we appreciate that. We feel like we can be authentically Tyler, authentically Jamar on this podcast. And so that's why the podcasts are a little bit longer. That's why, you know, sometimes there'll be as is commonly referred to some code switching where we may talk in very deep sociological or theological terms. And then we might talk about creed or we might talk about, because that's how we experience life in all of its multifaceted ways, all to the glory of God, all trying to find the redemptive um, finger of God throughout all of life. But what we do is we like to have fun and we hope that by allowing you in to these closed door conversations, if you are a white brother, sister, or allowing you into this ongoing conversation, if you are an African-American brother or sister, that you will be encouraged, you will be edified, and you also enjoy it. And hopefully we learn as much as you learn, and then we move forward together as one body. Amen. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. We got some great things coming up in 2017. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, also on the Satchel app as well. Rate and review us. That helps us out a lot, gets us into the ears of more listeners. And trust me, you want to subscribe because if you thought Andy Crouch was the best that we got in 2017, I'm telling you, we got some crazy episodes coming up and we're very excited to bring you some diverse content from some voices you may have never heard from before others that you maybe haven't heard in the way that we are going to present them to you. So uh, continue to follow us, go to randnetwork.org for the latest in articles. Also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We have a private Facebook group, the Pass the Mic private Facebook group. You can request entrance there. You can also follow us at underscore Pass the Mic. Jamar, I think that's it, man. We're going to get out of here. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you soon on the next Pass the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.